was just the most beautiful baptism. It was like almost choreographed into the music. Did you notice that? I don't know. That was just so beautiful. It was so awesome seeing so many people like just find new life in Jesus. Just get in there and drown the old man. Some of you just need to get in there and just let him hold you under until the last bubble. You know, have you ever felt that way? Like, I just need to get back in the tank and just, just listen, even if I yell, just hold me under. I want to make sure the sucker's dead. Not wounded, dead. Yeah. Well, we're going to pray for just a moment. Just grab a hand. Holy Spirit. Yeah. And those of you that have actually come here to date instead of to listen to me, just squeeze the hand of the person next to you if you want to date them. Yes, and you can text in. If you want to date, you can text in. Just, I'm available. Yeah. So, Lord, we just bless your people tonight. We just bless your people. Like pressed down, shaken together, running out lower. Have no mercy on these people. Give them more than they can handle, Lord. Intoxicate us with your presence. But especially them. Amen. <laughs> Look how big the clock is. They want to make sure I don't mess it up. Yeah, I think I can see it. Thank you. Is that an E? <laughs> wow. Well, um, I have a message. I actually started this uh, series on sexuality. Did anyone hear that last time I preached that? Well, we're not going to do that tonight. Sorry, don't clap for that. It'll make me feel really bad. We're going to finish that, though. I talked to Eric about it. I guess we're going to do it on a Sunday morning, so that'll be fun. Three times in the morning. (laughs) Jesus loves us. But I I really felt like I was supposed to um, talk about living in peace. And and then I just listened to uh, Paul just told me what Bill's message was about this morning. I don't know where he got my notes, but I think it's a Watergate leak. A river gate. <laughs> anyway, it was a joke, but I thought it was kind of funny. I want to talk a little bit about living in peace, and there seems to be a lot of, um, we seem to be going through a season as a family of, of quite a bit of um, turmoil, and you know, um, Psalms 23 is the very first verse, verses of the Bible, chapter that I ever memorized as a brand new believer at 18, I memorized the Lord is my shepherd. I memorized it in King James, which is kind of cool. Because it says, yay. (laughs) Yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. How many know that cannot be the right translation? If you've ever been through the valley, nobody says yay. But I I, I love that chapter uh, of the Psalms for lots of reasons. But one, mostly because it depicts different seasons in our life, doesn't it? Depicts the seasons where we're laying by the still waters. And I love that season. And while we're in the green grass, I like the green grass, not the hippie green grass, you know what I'm saying? I have to say that because we're from California and there's a lot of people streaming, they're like, I'm not talking about, you know, that kind of grazing in the grass as a gas kind of stuff. I'm talking about the Jesus laying in the grass, you know what I'm saying? And then there's the, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, how many of you know that wherever there's a shadow, there's got to be a light? And you can take comfort in the fact that if you're in the shadow of the Almighty, then you know there's a light. And the Lord is not the light at the end of the tunnel. Contrary to popular opinion, He's the light in the tunnel. 
He doesn't let you go through things by yourself. And, um, but, you know, just a, a little exhortation. One thing I learned is, like, you can lay down by the still waters. You can lay down in the green grass. But when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, you just keep walking. How many figure that out? Like you change your posture. It's like, what do I do when I'm in this season? Keep going. <laughs> Until you get to the table of the Lord, where he sets a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And I think fasting, feasting is much better than fasting. I never fast to beat the devil. You know, when I fast, I feel like the devil. <laughs> I'll fast to see what's in there, but I feast when the Lord is whipping the devil for me. So, uh, you know, so it, it, it seems to me like we're in this season where we're kind of, many of us, many people are kind of walking through the valley, the shadow. And if you're not in it, then you should be cheering for all those who are, right? Encourage the faint-hearted. Strengthen the knees that are feeble. Aren't you glad we're not all in the same season at the same time, which is beautiful? And this morning, I was um, just laying in the bathtub like I do most mornings when I can. I know, I like the bathtub. I don't know what it is, but I, I don't like showers. I like to soak. It's a Holy Spirit soak. And if it isn't, then still good. <laughs> and I was just laying in the bathtub this morning thinking about you know, when you sit in a, if you put hot water in the bathtub, it don't stay hot. <laughs> I know, so this is getting spiritual. You leave it in there long enough, it becomes room temperature. Not because 70 degrees is the most dominant temperature, but, it be, but it, because the room temperature has a dominant ecosystem. How many of you know... If your room is 70 degrees, eventually the water in the tub will be 70 degrees. You know why? Because the water in the tub doesn't have an ecosystem, but the temperature in the room does. It might be the outside temperature, the ecosystem of the sun and the weather, or it might be an air conditioning or heating system you have in the house. What I'm getting at is that the temperature in the room is controlled. The temperature in the tub is not. So eventually the temperature in the tub becomes the temperature in the room. Now, a hot tub's a whole different thing. Good thing about a hot tub is it has its own ecosystem, right? And what I'm getting at is this. Is it, happiness, it isn't an accident. It's the result of rejoicing. You know what rejoicing means? It means doing joy over and over. Like refried beans. <laughs> I don't know if that was true, but... It means that you're proactively repeating joy. You're rejoicing. And when you're rejoicing, you begin to create an ecosystem inside of you. How many of you know that if joy is related to an incident instead of a culture inside of you, then it won't remain because ultimately ecosystems that you cultivate dominate. Ecosystems that you cultivate dominate. So there's, you know, we went to Disneyland. I don't particularly enjoy Disneyland. But my wife wanted to go. It's where we did our honeymoon when we got married 40 years ago. So he's like, let's go to Disneyland. All right. Do you want to go to Disneyland? I want to be with you. 
<laughs> if you're in Disneyland, then I want to be in Disneyland. But I'm not too keen on Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck, you know? And, you know, Disneyland's awesome, and it's great to, you know, you, we go to a place and we be happy. And, you know, what happens in Disneyland is that Disney, Walt Disney, Disneyland, they created a culture outside of us that warms the water in us. And we get to take part of their culture where happy is proactively done over and over in their culture. And they do all kinds of things outside of you to help the happy in you get happy. But how many know that if happiness only happens at an incident, in an incident, how many know you don't have an ecosystem inside that's rejoicing, that's doing joy over and over again? Are you following me at all? So I want to talk about like developing an ecosystem that you proactively that you proactively work on so that you're not a thermometer, you're a thermostat. How many know you can walk into a room and you can either check the temperature or you can determine it? And there's just too many Christians that are thermometers. Like their mood depends on what's happening. Instead of, you know, we used to say happiness is based on happenings, but joy is based in Jesus. I'm good with happenings, but if that's the only time we're happy, how many know something's wrong? Something's not right. And I want to talk a little bit about that, that we were created for peace. We were created for joy. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, I wouldn't doubt that Bill used some of these same scriptures that he stole from me. <clears throat> Joshua is being instructed to take the people into the promised land. You know the story. This is a very well-told, very favorite story of, of many um, people. And so Joshua was supposed to take those people into the promised land. Only one thing, the greatest, one of the greatest people in the whole Bible, in the whole Old Testament for sure, Moses, failed at the very thing that Joshua was supposed to do. Joshua's mentor could not do what Joshua has been commanded to do. He failed at taking the people into the promised land. And you can imagine that between the death of Moses and the, and the Jordan River and the enemies that they've been told are in the land, that Joshua's probably not in the best of moods. And God is the one who comes to Joshua and announces that Moses is dead. And he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you, you take this people into the promised land. And as I'm with Moses, as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. And I don't know about you, but if you're you know, depressed and you think, well, if you were with Moses and he couldn't take the people in, I'm not sure how that's going to be super helpful. And then God begins to instruct him about how he's going to become successful. And I love these verses. And we're going to kind of jump into verse 8. This book of the law, God says. This is God's personal instruction to Joshua. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For, you, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not tremble, be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I want to just take from Joshua's, God's command to Joshua, three points that he makes. The first thing he said is this. He said, if you do these three things, 
then you will become prosperous and you will make your way successful. You know, um, maybe I've been on this subject a little too much in the last couple of years, but I'm going to say it again. There is a, a teaching that keeps flowing through the body of Christ that Jesus did it all on the cross. I'm sorry, it sounds very spiritual, just doesn't happen to be true. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, it's finished. He didn't say you were. He's done everything he can do to get you to heaven and heaven in you. But you have a choice to make. How many of you know not everyone's going to heaven? And it's not because Jesus didn't do his part. How many of you know not everyone is going to live in heaven on earth? And that's not because Jesus didn't do his part. I'm simply saying that when Jesus said he's finished, he didn't say you were. And so our part, so you have a part in becoming successful. And God said to Joshua, you, if you do these three things, you will become prosperous and you will make your way successful. Now, how many of you know God's the one talking to him? So you can't say, well, he became successful outside of God because God is his personal life coach. God's the one who's taken him into the land. And we all know that without God, we're nothing. But how many know you're not without God? And so he tells him three things. The first one is, is this. This law of God shall be in your mouth. Secondly, you need to meditate on it day and night. And third, everything you're talking about, you need to do. You need to meditate on it. You need to... Take the law of God and meditate on it. Then you need to talk about it. Then you need to do it. And if you do those three things, Joshua, you'll be prosperous and you'll be successful. And by the way, Josh, this is how we're going to measure success. That you bring the people into the land that I promised them. In other words, your success is not measured in how much you do, but how successful the people are. If you bring other people into their land, then you're successful. This is your job. Make other people famous. Three things he said to them, to Joshua. Take the law of God, put it in your mouth. Meditate on it all the time. Talk about it, what you're talking about, do it. It's interesting, the word meditate means to utter, muse, ponder, declare, or sing over yourself. Meditation isn't like Buddhism, like, what are you doing? I'm emptying my mind. You know, some people are so open-minded their brains fell out. You know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> meditation, in scriptural meditation, is not emptying your mind. It's filling it with God thoughts. It's filling your mind with God thoughts and then talking yourself through the process of God being with you and singing over yourself. I, uh, I, I never realized it actually consciously till probably a few months ago. I've been kind of thinking about this passage for a while because Joshua 1, uh, 8 and 9 has been, been kind of a key uh, passage in my own life for my own um, anxiety and, and my own mental health, my own peace. And I was in the shop and I was working on some stuff and I re- started realizing, I, you know how, you, do you ever talk to yourself? I realized that whenever I work with my hands, I always talk to myself. And I thought back when I was in my shop this week, this, or last month, I was working on this project and uh, the Lord told me, I was working on some duck work. I got a new machine. I was ducking this machine and, and uh, putting this big duck work to, the, to my machine. And uh, when I started it, I thought, I need to go buy 
some duct work to hook this machine up. And I felt the Lord say, everything you need is in the shop. Everything you need, I've already put in the shop. I said, where? He said, that's for me to know and you to find out. (laughs) Which is actually the Message Bible's word for, it's the glory of God to hide a matter and the glory of kings to search it out. (laughs) He says, for me to know and you to figure it out. So um, I needed, I don't know, this whole complicated elbows and four-inch pipe and this, I needed this flex pipe to go into the bottom of the thing. And I, I was like, it was kind of fun because the Lord told me everything I needed was someplace inside my shop, which is about 2,000 square feet. So I found two or three of the pieces right away, and that was really encouraging. And I started putting them together. But as I was walking through my shop looking for things, I started saying to myself, unbeknownst, like not on purpose, I started saying, you'll find this. God told you it's here. It'll be here. I found the first piece that said, see, the Lord was right. And I was walking around my shop talking to myself. And I realized that that's the kind of, that's meditation. You know, when we're going through a hard time, you just start talking to yourself. It came to pass. It came so it could pass. We're going to get through this. If God is for me, who can be against me? God's with me. God works all things out for good. I'm saying, when we're going through things, one of the things we do is we begin to quote what God said to us. See, psychiatrists, psychologists, mental health people, they, they have caught on to this idea that God originated. They call it positive self-talk. How many know if saying good things over yourself can encourage you, think about what saying God things over yourself can be. There's something about you telling yourself out loud what God is doing in your life. Singing it over yourself, meditating over it. Have you ever just made up a song? Like you're in a tough time, you just make up a song. It doesn't have to be a good song. You're the only one going to hear it, you and God. You know what I'm saying? The Lord is with me, then who can be against me? If the Lord's on my side, I'd hate to be you. If the Lord is fighting for me, I wouldn't want to be against me. If I were you, I'd give up while you still can. You know what I mean? You just start singing over yourself. I'm pretty soon, you didn't want to sing, but pretty soon you get a song going, you know? Have you ever sang a song and you have to use like maybe a slang word to make it rhyme, you know? You're like, yeah, glad that's probably not going to be... Bethel Music's probably not going to publish that. <laughs> you know, it's not what you want that changes you. It's what you will. You know, I could want to be, I could want a great body. <laughs> or I can just get a Superman shirt and pretend I have one. I could want a great body, but how many know until I will it, I'm not going to have it. How many know I could want to go to heaven, but it's not my want that gets me to heaven, it's only my will. I could want to have a great marriage, but until I will it, I won't have one. Sometimes what I want isn't what I will. Sometimes what I want shouldn't be what I will. Sometimes I want to do things that aren't godly. 
But how many of you know, it's not my want that takes me to heaven or to hell. It's my will. And sometimes I will things that I don't want, that are good. Have you ever walked into a worship service and you don't want to worship? I have. <laughs> Sorry. That's <laughs> two confessions. Being vulnerable and transparent to people who are so holy. I wouldn't want to be you. <laughs> That's a little joke. Anyway, have you ever come to su- Sunday morning or wherever and it's time to worship and you're like, I don't want to worship, but I will to. And you start to will what you don't want. And pretty soon your will overrides your want and changes the temperature of the water because your will has an ecosystem and you don't let your want have one. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It is your will that changes you, not your want. How many of you have little children? How many of you want them? <laughs> How many about three o'clock in the morning, about nine days in a row, and little Johnny or little Mary wakes up in the middle of the night? How many of you want to get up and take care of little Johnny? Come on, ladies, guys, let's be real. No way. But you will. How many know your children stay alive not because you want them alive, because you will them to be alive? It's true. What you will happens. What you will makes a healthy ecosystem. Not what you want, what you will. And how many know feelings are important? They're a great slave, but a terrible master. I'm simply saying, if you want to live in peace, you better listen to your will, not your want. Because your want will always ends up lukewarm. You know what lukewarm is? It's the temperature of the world. It's the temperature of what happens when you create no ecosystem. You just go to 70 degrees. You just go to whatever temperature the world is. Because you don't turn on the ecosystem inside of you that creates peace in you. That creates prosperity in you. I'm saying, if you want to live in peace, you will have to proactively go after it. Because if you don't, you will slip into 70 degrees, which is anxiety, fear, sleeplessness, and all of us have experienced it. So don't look at at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Philippians 4, this is my wife's very favorite verse. In fact, verses, she quotes them all the time when I look unhappy. She's like, whatever is true, I'm like, stop. You are not the Holy Spirit, even though you sound just like her. <laughs> Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. In case you didn't get it, rejoice in the Lord always. Oh, in case you didn't get it. Again, I say rejoice. I don't think we forgot. You said it like a millisecond ago. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord's near. Be anxious for? Nothing. Oh, what are we supposed to be anxious for? Nothing. Nothing. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's anything excellent, If there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And the things which you've learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, 
Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. How many would like to have, live in peace the rest of your life? Like, no matter what's going on outside, your water stays 109 degrees. Or whatever temperature is perfectly comfortable for you. Like, you are not affected or infected by the circumstances of life. Not because you don't care, but you determine the temperature of the room. It doesn't determine your temperature. I'm saying, if you want to live like that, you mean I'm never going to have a problem? No, you're going to live in peace when there is trouble. Why? Because you're proactively creating an ecosystem. How are you doing it? The first thing you're doing is you're thinking about what God says. Next thing is, you're talking about what God said. And thirdly, you're doing what God said. And it's funny, when you, when you t- take those three things together, what happens is, is you begin to create through your will, not your want. I don't feel like doing that. I know. You know the difference between people who will and want? The people who will it live in peace. The people who want it always want a great body but never have one. And they go from panic to anxiety, to problem, to problem, and two people going through the same thing, and one is living a happy, joyful life, and the other is, and the difference is that nobody, that the people who don't, they haven't learned how to create their own ecosystem, and they're always dependent around the peop- on the people around them to do something in them. And how many know it's the kingdom in you that becomes the kingdom around you? And if you don't cultivate the kingdom within you, then the kingdom around you will become the kingdom in you. So what things, are, what things are true, are honorable, are right? It might be good sometimes just to proactively make a list. Like Paul talks about, whatever's pure. What's pure in your life? Your love for your spouse, your love for your children. What's, what's lovely in your life? What's good? What's excellent? What's worthy of praise? I love Romans 16.20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan. I don't know why those two don't seem to go together. Peace and crush. (laughs) It's one reason why I believe in war. Anyway, let's not go there. I don't know if that's good, pure, lovely. I'm only partly kidding because the God of peace is actually a warrior. And he crushes Satan under your feet. The God of peace will crush Satan on your feet. Peace is a weapon. When you are peaceful in a storm, it's like Philippians 1 says, do not be alarmed by your opponent. It's a sign of destruction for him and salvation for you. I remember years ago, I heard this story from somebody, and uh, I remember going through this really tormenting time, and I, I had this demon showing up in my room for about four months. It was really horrible, almost every night. So I took a chair, I heard someone else do this, so I took a chair and I put it in front of me and I said, devil, sit there. I'll be sitting here and you can watch me worship. A few nights later, this demon with the red eyes would come in my room and torment me and it was, that, was, that part was going on for about a month and every night I'd wake up with a nightmare and I'd look up and this demon would be sitting at, my, in my, at, the, at the end of my bed and I worshipped, I spoke against it, I rebuked it, I quoted scriptures, nothing happened for a month. So one night, it was just like, I was exhausted, and I, 
I got into bed and I said, Lord, what am I going to do? He said, you're going to use the, one of the most powerful weapons I've ever taught you to use. I said, what is it? He said, ignore. <laughs> I said, what? He said, I want you to use the weapon of ignore. Use the weapon of ignore? He said, yeah, the devil loves attention. So you're going to use the weapon of ignore. I'm like, all right. I woke up in the middle of the night, nightmare, same thing. Two eyes, huge eyes at the edge of my bed, foot of my bed. I looked up and I said, oh, it's just you. I put the covers over my head. My heart was beating out of my chest. That was the last time it ever showed up in my room. Sometimes we just give evil too much attention. Sometimes we just have too many weapons. Like, And the Lord's like, hey, how about just peace? How about just peace? Oh, it's just you. You powerless mouse. I wouldn't want to be you. I wouldn't want to be you. <laughs> On December uh, 5th in 2011, I had a dream. You know how dreams are. I wrote it down in my journal. I had this dream. And in the dream, we were surrounded by evil military vehicles. And, we were, and, they, were, and they were shooting for, at us from all angles. And I grabbed a fire hose... <laughs> And I began to wet the vehicles down with water. And as the water touched the windshields of the vehicles, it froze like ice and skewed their vision. And I turned to my son, Jason, and I said to him, let's rally the troops, let's destroy these enemies. Then I looked around and I couldn't find my weapon. And so I was yelling at Jason, where's my weapon? Where did you put my weapon? And he looked up at me in the dream and he said, it's in your teeth. <laughs> and I woke up. And I remember, and I realized that the weapon of warfare is in my mouth. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Some people are talking themselves to death. And other people are talking themselves to life. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I love what James says, chapter 3 of James. He says, all of us stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, we put bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, and we direct the entire body as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, yet they are directed by a small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire? And the tongue is a fire, a very world, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members, and it is that which defiles the entire body, and sets on fire the course of life, and sets on fire by hell. If you, in, uh, verse 14, if you have bitter jealousy or selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant, and don't lie against the truth. For this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but that is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom of God, the wisdom from above, is pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed of those who, whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Think about this. He's saying, a big horse, you know, we have horses. The great, huge animals. You put a bit in their mouth, and it doesn't matter where the horse wants to go because the rider determines where the horse is going by the bit, get this, in the mouth. He said, a big ship 
is huge, but a small rudder directs it. He said, even in the wind, the rudder determines where it's going, not the wind. And then he says, your tongue is the rudder. Your tongue determines where you go. If you don't use your tongue wisely, then the wind will blow you wherever you don't want to go. But if you use your tongue wisely, like the rudder of a ship, what you say determines where your whole life goes. Like the horse who's huge and powerful, but is directed by a small bit in the mouth. Or like a ship that's huge in the middle of a storm. It is not the storm that determines where the ship goes, but the rudder. And he says, you are powerful. You have all these things going for you. But it's the tongue that determines the direction of your life. And if you don't, the wind will. If the captain takes his hands off of the wheel, you know this, in a ship, in a storm, how many know, as soon as he takes the hands off the wheel, guess where the ship goes? Where the storm wants to take it. But as long as he has his hands, are you with me? As long as he has self-control in the middle of the wind, it matters not that the wind wants to take him into the rocks because he has his hand on the wheel which connected to the rudder. That's your tongue. That's my tongue. And he says this. If you have bitter jealousy, remember the context is what you talk about. If you have bitter jealousy or selfish ambition, then there is disorder in every evil thing. If you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant and lie against the truth. He's saying, when you are bitter and jealous and you talk about other people, you are lying. And that lying sets the forest on fire. You said, I just said that little thing and and they made this big thing out of it. Yeah, a small match creates a big forest fire. What's the point? Make sure that when you're in a storm that you don't say what you want. You say what you will. Because if you say what you want, how many of you have ever been mad before? How many of you have ever been jealous before? Three of us. Chris and I have though, right Chris? I've been jealous of you. And I know you're jealous of this shirt. Mark 4.23, Jesus said this, Take care of what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given to you besides. Listen, be careful. What's the context? Be careful what you listen to. Because by your standard of measure, what's he talking about? By your standard of measure in listening, more will be given to you. Have you ever noticed that bitter people hang out with bitter people? I've been here for 18 years. And I noticed that somebody will come into our church, brand new, bitter. And by the way, whatever someone says about someone else to you, they will say about you to someone else eventually. When they talk about their pastor, oh, I'm so glad we're here at Bethel. Our pastor was this and this and this. I think, oh, oh, be careful, because when they got done talking about their pastor, they'll be here a year and they'll be talking about us. They're bitter, 
And it's so crazy. There's 8,000 people who come to this church on any given weekend. And it's funny, the 30 people who are bitter will all find this person in 30 days. I'm telling you, it's magnetic. Bitterness, jealousy, anger, resentment, hate, unforgiveness. They are like magnets and they draw flies to the magnet. And it's crazy. And then they come to you. Have you ever heard this? They go, I have this little problem with you. And they tell you the story and you go, I I don't think I'm doing that. They're like, well, Johnny and Henry and Mary and, uh, and, and Chuck, they all say you did. I'm like, oh, you talked to a whole bunch of people before you talked to me. No, they all came to me. Oh, they all came. You were in total silence. And they just decided to tell their problem to you. How many of you know, by the standard of your measure, it will be measured to you. And what you listen to, people will know. And they'll bring you what you want to hear. Growing up with Bill was hard. In a good way. Growing up in the Lord. I think we met Bill when I was 24. 23. And I was the kind of person, well, I was taught, if you think it, you should say it. I mean, why the heck would you think it if you weren't supposed to say it? My family, well, they weren't believers, but... And we spent about five days a week with Bill and Benny for... 14 years, 12, 14 years. And I would come in, you know, come over to Bill's house and I would say, this guy is... Ah, blah, blah, blah. And Bill would just look at you. It was like driving with your brakes on. He would just look at you like... And he didn't ever say it, but he just like, you can't be that stupid. You actually think you're flawless. You actually think you have a right to judge other people. I mean, he never said those things. He just looked at you. And then as soon as you stopped, he would say something good about them. Say, oh, I really love the way they da-da-da-da. I'm like, join my offense, man. You're a friend. Are you for me or are you for them? Because you can't be for both of us. How many know offended people want you to be on their side or on their side, but you can't be my friend if you're not mad at them with me? And Bill used to say... I don't pick up other people's offense. I don't pick up other people's offense, and you shouldn't either. I'm like, I'm not picking it up. I'm just verbalizing it. (laughs) You know, when somebody comes to you with a complaint, if you're not part of the problem and you're not part of the solution, it's none of your business. Just tell people, like, what's your measure? Hey, I don't listen to that crap. I'm sorry. You know, da-da-da-da, I'm sorry. I don't actually want to listen to that. But no, 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 no. I just want you to pray with me. No, no. The Bible doesn't say, if you're offended with your brother, pray about it. It says, go talk to him. It doesn't say, go talk to somebody else. It says, go talk to them. You know what happens when you do that the first time you do that with somebody? And they start, da-da-da, and you're like, hey, hey, I'm sorry, I don't listen to gossip. I'm not gossiping. I don't listen to that gospel. That's another Jesus. I don't listen to that gospel. I'm sorry, if you have something... Hey, by the way, if you want me to go with you to help you with them, I'll gladly do that. But I'm not going to sit here and listen to one side of the case. I'm sorry I don't do that. Guess what? They'll either stop or they'll find somebody else. Because your measure, you kept a high standard, and they go, I can't complain to him. 
And guess what will happen? Other people will do the same for you. There'll still be people. How many know haters will hate? You know, when haters hate and you love people, it's funny because the people you love will defend you to the haters. If you hate me on Facebook, just try it. Just say something bad about me. You'll have 150 people like, Chris is not like that. He's a, he wore a Superman shirt. He's a good man. I figure I don't have to defend myself. I'm just, whatever. I usually leave them on there for a little while just so they can be punished by the lovers. <laughs> then I ban them into, you know, purgatory. <laughs> Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one. Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. How many know you can give the devil an opportunity? Not in my house. I just don't like John. Yeah, well, you not liking John opens the door for the devil. When we were young, Bill, this is one of Bill's favorite verses for marriage. He used to say, you can be angry, but don't let the sun go down on your anger. And he taught us, he taught Kathy and I, we took it very literally, that literally that we were not to go to sleep mad. Because he said, if you go to sleep mad, you wake up bitter. And if you wake up bitter, then you, then you end up in unforgiveness. So we, especially as a young couple, we spent a lot of two and three and four o'clock in the morning laying in bed, talking to closure our anger. Because our leader said, you don't go to sleep mad. If you do, you'll wake up bitter. Sometimes Kathy's counseling sessions would turn into snoring. And I'd be like, and one more thing you did wrong. <laughs> Never mind, I'll deal with it myself. I'm good. I forgive you. How do I live in peace? I think about God's word. I talk about his word and I do his word. How do I live in peace? I watch my tongue. I don't let my tongue... Tell me what it's going to say. I tell my tongue what it's going to say. And I don't let my tongue do my, will, my, my want. I only let it do my will. And I will to be kind when I want to be mean. Because my will is directed by my spirit. Not by my emotions. And when I'm angry with somebody, and my, my want says, we should talk to somebody about that. My will says, I won't do that. Because if I talk about somebody else, it'll come back it, it will take away my peace. How do I stay in peace? I think about what's good, what's honorable, right, pure, lovely, excellent, and worthy of praise. I think about these things. What am I doing? I'm creating an ecosystem. So I'm not the bathtub, I'm the hot tub. I have an ecosystem. I'm talking and I'm thinking and I'm doing the things that are right and pure. I'm not doing them when I want to. I'm doing it when I will to, which is always. And I'm using my tongue to direct my life in the midst of storms. I'm using my tongue to direct my life. I'm telling myself, you're going to get through this. It's all right. It came to pass. It came so it can pass. 
it's all good. Remember who's for you? If he's for you, then who can be against you? And by the way, all things work together for good in the end. So if it's not good, it's not the end. And I just start talking to myself. How many of you have ever done this before? How many of you have ever been through trouble in your life? How many of you are not going to lift your hand no matter what I say? It's interesting. You know, have you ever had somebody take something you said out of context? Have you ever had someone take a line or two and say, and Joe said, and you can't say you didn't say it because you said that exact thing. But in the context of which you said it, it was perfectly fine. But in the context, when they took that little snapshot and pulled it out, and they go, did you say this? And you're like, I can't lie. I said that. Wow, you're right. I'm like, wait, wait a second. Can I create the context for you? Because how many know context determines the definition? How many know if I'm at a basketball game and I say, that man's on fire? The context determines the definition. How many know if I'm coming out of an apartment and I say, that man's on fire? It's going to be a completely... I said the same thing, but the context dictates a totally different response. Right? I'm simply saying context is everything. How many of you have ever been mad at someone who says something about you until you heard the rest of the story and you're like, oh... I think sometimes people take the Bible out of context and make it say things it doesn't say. Or sometimes the impact of what it does say is not as powerful as what the writer, the author, meant it to say because we took it completely out of the setting in which it meant to have an impact on us. You know, one of the most powerful verses on warfare is in Ephesians chapter 6, right? It's where it says, our struggles not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and so on and so forth. Those are powerful verses, right? Look at the, how it starts. Here's the context. Well, first of all, Ephesians 5, it, you know, how many know there wasn't chapters when these guys wrote the... So Ephesians 5 is husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it, right? So Ephesians 6, 1, in, in, in the context of family, like Paul's still talking about family, he says, children, obey your parents. Ephesians 6, 1. The, this is the pretext for our struggle is not. You're like, where are you going? Oh, follow me. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it's right. Honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it will be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to your masters. Masters, do not take advantage of your slaves. And it goes on like that. And what I'm getting at is this. Then, in the midst of all that, I'm saying in the context of that, he says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Or our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. First of all, I just want to make a side comment. I don't think he's talking about demons being against Christians. I do think that some Christians have struggles with demons, but I think he's talking about principalities. I think world changers are. A, I don't think world changers struggle against demons. I think world changers struggle against world forces of darkness. But isn't it interesting that the context is the family? I'm saying that the devil is tries to get in your family. 
the opportunity he's getting, listen, it's, I, I know we're like, oh, you know, the devil's trying to, and it's the media, and it's all that. And Paul said, you know, actually, it's in your family. It's husbands and wives. It's children and parents. It's in your employment. The devil wants to get in, and how does he do it? He, you give him an opportunity, because he has no power over you unless you give him, unless you deputize him. He has no authority. He has power, but no authority. You have power and authority. And greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. How do you live in peace? Keep your relationships good with people. Because if you don't, you aren't just empowering the people that are angry with you. You're, you're empowering the devil that wants to take your life. The struggle you have, the struggle I have, is with people who have opened a door to bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred and criticism and all those things, jealousy, selfish ambition, that opens the door. It starts out, remember, natural, and then it becomes demonic. It never starts demonic. It starts natural. And I'm saying, spiritual warfare is often, we often talk about spiritual warfare, and we're like, we worship, we, we do this, we do that. And God says, you know, if you keep your relationships clean, you probably wouldn't have all this problem. Matthew chapter 23, he says, if you're going to present, if you're going to present an offering at the altar, and you remember your brother has something against you, leave your offering and go take care of your brother. How many you know God loves worship? But God cares more about relationships than he does worship. Some people are just making loud noises. Other people are worshiping. The difference isn't what's coming out of your mouth. The difference is what's coming out of your heart. You can sing a crummy song, but if you've got a great heart, it's worship. You can sing a beautiful song, but if your heart is bitter towards your brother, or you know he has something against you, or she has something against you, how many know God says, I'm not receiving that. It's not worship. It's just noise. How do I stay in peace? I keep my relationships good with people. I'll tell you, spiritual warfare is more about staying connected with people than it is about shabba-ba-ya-da-da-da. You can shabba-ya-da-da-da all you want, but if your brother has something against you, if you have something against your brother, you're just beating the wind. I love what Peter says. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the same grace of life so that your prayers won't be hindered. Let me read it to you in the Message Bible. The same goes for you husbands. Be good husbands to your wives. Honor them. Delight in them. As a woman, they lack some of your advantages, but in the new life in Jesus Christ, in, in God's grace, they are equals. Treat your wives, then, as equals so your prayers don't run aground. Say, so, well, you're saying women are weaker. No, Peter's talking about mud wrestling. I look at these pregnant women, I'm like, oh, I don't think weaker. <laughs> Peter's saying this in simple English. He's saying, you might be able to beat up your wife, but if you aren't kind to her, God's not going to answer your prayers. I'm simply saying, one of the reasons we don't live in peace is because the way we treat our spouses, the way we treat our children, the way we treat our bosses, our employees, how many of you know God cares about that? And those simple things, how can I do this little thing and it becomes this? Because the enemy gets in in our relationships. That's a good word. You know why you guys aren't talking? Because you're all convicted. <laughs> I wish it was because you're bored. 
I'll give you just a couple more. I love this verse because it's, Jesus is saying it and it doesn't sound like Jesus. He says, seek first the kingdom. That sounds like Jesus. And his righteousness. Still sounds like Jesus. And all these things will be added to you. Still sounds like Jesus. Don't worry about tomorrow. That sounds like Jesus. For tomorrow will care for itself. Still sounds like Jesus. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Doesn't sound like Jesus. Can you imagine Jesus saying, don't worry about tomorrow. You've got enough trouble today. <laughs> I don't know why. That just doesn't sound like Jesus. Like, why think about tomorrow? Don't you have enough trouble today? You think about tomorrow's trouble? How many of you feel like you're going from faith to faith? How many of you feel like you're going from glory to glory? How many of you believe that the kingdom's increasing every day? That there shall be no end to the end, to in, there shall be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. So, how many of you know that if you look at tomorrow's challenges with today's grace, it should overwhelm you? <laughs> because if you're going from faith to faith, then tomorrow you'll need more faith than you have today, because the challenges will be greater. Are you following me? So, how many of you know if you look at tomorrow's challenges with today's grace, you're going to feel tr- stressed. You have enough trouble today. So one of the ways we stay in peace is we stay in the moment. And if you're going to look ahead, look ahead with Jesus. I know um, some people are going to think I'm crazy, and I've already get a couple of text messages when I say, share this, but I don't look at my calendar tomorrow until I go to bed that night. I, let my, I have a PA. I plan my year one year out. I plan my meetings 90 days out. And I don't look at tomorrow until I go to bed that night. My PA knows I look at, look at tomorrow, so she texts me if I have to. Like, hey, you better pack. <laughs> so this happens to me every week, several times a week. People go, hey, you're coming to my country. I'm like, I am? Awesome. Well, do you not know you're going? Oh, I knew I, knew I was. When am I coming? You're coming next week. Oh, that's awesome. I can't wait to see you. They always look at me really funny like, are you joking? Do you have a problem with your memory? No, I don't look ahead. Because when I look at all the meetings we have, when I look at all the conferences and all the places we're going, I sit down and look at a year's calendar in one hour. It's overwhelming. I'm like, humans can't do that. Superman can, but humans cannot. I look at the stuff that we said we would do, and I go, you know what, God? You have to, you have to do this. How I many you know if you're doing things you can do without God, you should find something else to do. But here's the problem. When you look at, when you look at your schedule that you planned with God, and you think of you doing it, it's stressful. Some of you are like, I don't feel that way. Maybe you get, need more to do. I soak. Whatever. No comments. Sometimes it's okay to just think about getting through the day. Sometimes it's great just to thrive by saying, I'm going to give myself completely to this day as if there isn't tomorrow. I'm going to do everything I would do if this is the last day of my life. 
I'm going to give myself to who I'm supposed to give myself to. I'm going to meet the needs of the people that God brings to me. And how many know there's always enough time to do what God wants you to do? You're not the Savior of the world. I'll just say that to yourself. I I am not the Savior of the world. world. There's There's always enough time to do everything God told me to do. So how many know, if you're, if you're stressed out and you have all these people trying to get to you, remember, God gave you enough time and enough energy to do what he told you to do. So if you're overwhelmed, then either you haven't factored in God or you're doing things you weren't called to do. And how many know, if you don't have a plan for your life, people will have a plan for you. <laughs> if you don't have a plan for your life, then people will have a plan for you. And how many of you understand that if you don't like to disappoint people, that you will be dead? <laughs> if you don't know how to say no to people, you're like, oh, I just want to please everybody. Uh, you please try to please everybody, you end up pleasing nobody. Especially if you become a fountain of hope. How many know if you become a fountain of hope, and when people need hope, they're going to come to you? How many understand that you can only touch so many people? Because you are not the savior of the world. You say, well, Jesus, people write me all the time, they're like, well, Jesus touched everyone who came to him. He only lived three and a half years doing that. His ministry killed him. He didn't live 30 years on that schedule. He only lived three and a half years on that schedule. And he didn't have volleyball games, basketball games, you know, track meets, you know. He didn't have children to change in the middle of the night. He just had 12 idiots to follow him. Which I guess was the same thing. I'm not playing down the Lord. I'm saying that the only way you can keep the schedule that the Lord kept in the Gospels is for you to not do it for long. Because that's a crazy schedule. And the disciples who left everything to follow Jesus kept saying, hey, we need a break. Hey, tell these people to go away and find some food. Jesus like, you feed them. Well, that isn't really the point. But we're sort of exhausted. How many know the schedule Jesus kept as a single person who had three and a half years to live isn't the schedule you can live on? You, you do that schedule, you ain't going to have a family. Oh no, I got a couple of people on Facebook. They just think I'm the devil. We're supposed to follow Jesus. Yeah, one of them did it when I was periscoping. He said, Satan. I'm like, oh, whatever. I ban you in Jesus' name. Last point don't let people abuse you. You're not a martyr, you're a believer. Well, what if someone hits me on the right cheek? Well, then give them your left. But then run away. I mean, you know, there is no wisdom in the third kick of a meal. I mean, you know, there's enough abuse in the world that you can't avoid that you don't have to give yourself to people who are abusive. And I actually think that when you think you do, it has a lot to do with how you feel about yourself. And how many know that Jesus died for you so you don't have to die for you? You don't have, you don't have to do penance. He already did it for you.
So, you know, I, I'm not saying, I know we're, we live in the world, so you can't avoid abuse. But I'm saying, you don't have to, like, welcome it. You don't have to let people abuse you. Set boundaries with people. How do I live in peace? I work on my relationships. I don't let haters get to me if I can help it. I don't owe everyone an explanation. And it's okay to say no to people. And their opinion of me isn't God's opinion of me. See that? I helped someone right there. That was my first amen the whole night. 58 minutes into the message, someone finally said, I I agree with that point. Stan, let me pray for you all. Put your hand on your heart. I, don't, I honestly, you know, I've been joking with you a lot tonight. I don't know how you feel. But I know that if someone was preaching this message, I'd be scrumming in the front row because I do not live the message I just preached very well. But I, I live it better than I did 30 years ago. But not as well as I'm going to 10 more years from now. I mean, I'm on a journey. I'm learning. And one of the ways we learn is we get it wrong and we have to go clean it up. And I've been the master of cleaning up my messes. I've gotten good at that. You would think, you know, how painful cleaning up messes is that you would get this better. Like you'd hang on to the wheel more often. Whoa, where'd we go? Oh, that was painful. Yeah. So, Lord, I just pray that you would heal our hearts. I pray for the peace of God that surpasses all understanding would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And I pray, God, that wherever there's jealousy in our lives or ambition that's not sanctioned by God, or whether there's bitterness or unforgiveness or, or maybe something we just may call it frustration, but it's really masquerading as frustration and yet it's really something evil. Lord, I pray wherever that is that you would shine the lights in our heart and if you see anything like that in us, that you would walk us out of it because we don't... Lord, not only do we not want that in our life, we don't will that in our life. We don't will for any dark place in our lives. And Lord, wherever we've made a mess, we ask you to help us to clean it up. Wherever there's an open door or an opportunity for the enemy in our life, whether it's just a little crack where air gets in or whether it's a a garage door left open. Lord, we pray that you would steal those things shut in our lives and that we be people with pure hearts and clean hands. I pray for every single person here and I pray that this season, this storm, would only prove our faithfulness in God. That every person who's going through a storm today would find themselves approved by God as a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed. And I thank you for grace, and I thank you for forgiveness, and I thank you that when we get it wrong, you're really right there to help us get it right, and that you want us to live in peace a hundred times more than we do, and that you've provided everything so that we can. So Lord, give us wisdom so that the ecosystem in us 
is not a thermometer, but a thermostat. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so very much for listening.